Hi, can you all see me okay? Okay, how are you all feeling? Everybody feeling good about spring? Fantastic out there. And uh, actually, I'm feeling kind of perky today. How many of you are feeling perky? Uh, There's a few reasons why I'm feeling that way. Um, One is the four-part harmony on Because He Lives. Uh, Where's the worship team members like? Did you appreciate that? How often do you hear four-part harmony? And there they are. There's Lane and Lila. And uh, where's Alex Noel? You were doing the bass, right? Way down there. That, that, was, that was really good. We don't hear that very often. Uh, so that was fantastic. Uh, another reason I'm feeling perky is, uh, well, uh, it's a little bittersweet, but this is my fourth last Sunday as your lead pastor. Uh, we don't plan on going anywhere. It's just that, you know, uh, as your lead pastor, it's my fourth last Sunday. June 5th uh, is my last Sunday as your lead pastor. And then a few days later, uh, my wife and I are set to go to Portugal for three weeks. Uh, Lord willing, I keep saying, because it got canceled in 2020. So anyway, so we had to push it two years later. And um, yeah, another reason I'm feeling that way is because of the surprise party on the 29th. I'm looking forward to that. I, so, and uh, I don't know if I was supposed to hear, anyway. So... I don't know. It's great, and uh, it's, thank you uh, so much. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, so as I've reflected on my legacy uh, as your lead pastor, it's been 14 plus years. Um, you know, I've been praying about what to speak on, and this has been so hard for me to figure out. Lord, what do you want to say through me? Uh, and you know what? I don't overestimate the importance of sermons. I really don't. Sermons are it's important to preach the word, but what I'm going to talk to you about today, there's something more important than you just hearing what myself or Trent or anybody wants to say. Uh, it's what God wants to say to you, uh, sometimes without the intermediary of a, of a preacher or a teacher. So, you know, I've been praying of saying, Lord, what final words of encouragement can I give uh, to the congregation? What do you have in store for us? What's next? We've been on a journey together for 14 plus years, and boy, there's been some ups and downs and some hard times, some great times. Uh, But Lord, what's next for your church? What do you want to say to us? And so today to help with that, I want to draw upon one of my favorite passages of scriptures, one of those large chunks that I've memorized. It's found in Acts chapter 20. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, just uh, turn to it. It's Acts chapter 20. And uh, I'm just going to take this one segment from verses 25 through 31, and the verses should come up on the screen. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. Now, let me me set this up. Um, He was in Ephesus for a few years, in the city of Ephesus. Now, he's leaving. And they didn't have the advantage of telecommunications, of Facebook, of social media to stay in touch. When you left somewhere, it could be the final goodbye. Uh, there was really, it was really difficult to communicate. And so it was a really sad time. It was a farewell. And, and he's giving some final words. And so this is what he says partway through his final speech. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. And now what he's saying is, I've not left anything undone or unsaid, so 
you know, I'm not guilty of depriving you of anything. And then he goes on, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And then he says this, this is what I want us to pay attention to. He says, keep watch over yourselves. Over whom? Over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now he's saying this to the shepherds, to the pastors, the elders of the church. And then he says to them, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He's using that metaphor of wolves and sheep. And then he says, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped, uh, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And so these are his final words. But I want you to notice there's three imperatives. There's three kind of uh, words of encouragement here. One is he says, keep watch over yourselves and over God's church, which I want to talk about next Sunday. Keep watch. And then he says, be shepherds of God's flock. And then he says, be on your guard. So here's the two things. Keep watch, be on your guard. Constantly, these are some of the final words. He's saying, keep watch over yourselves, over God's church, and stand guard. And we hear this a lot in Scripture, even in the words of Jesus, all through the New Testament. Words like watch and pray, be alert, be ready, be awake, and sober. And so the answer to what's next for you and for God's church is in large part up to each one of us. So we as shepherds, so the word pastor and the word shepherd comes from the Greek word poimen. And so he's saying, you know, as shepherds, I have to watch over myself. My first responsibility is to watch over my own soul. That's my first responsibility. Because I can't lead people on a journey that I'm not on myself. He's saying, be vigilant and attentive, not just over the flock of God, but over yourself. The Apostle Paul says this in his first letter to Timothy, and this will come up on the screen. Watch your life. That's what he says to him. He says, Timothy, you're an elder in the church. Watch your life and your doctrine, your teaching closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, here's the result. You will save both yourself and your hearers. Who will you save? You'll save yourself and your hearers. So here's the message. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of your own soul. Um, so I don't know if you know, but there's been, there's a problem in the North American church. Um, we've heard of scandals recently. Uh, th this has been on the news and everything, but Ravi Zacharias, uh, a, a well-known Christian apologist, spoke to large crowds, global ministry, uh, had a moral failure, apparently, had a moral failure. Uh, Hillsong pastor in New York, Carl Lentz, had a moral failure. And because these were large global leaders with large ministries and a, and a huge following, uh, it, it really brings a lot of disgrace, you know, uh, to God's name and to the, and, and to the church. And so it, I'm really concerned about that, and I'm not alone. Some of you are concerned about that. There's also been a marked increase since the COVID-19 pandemic broke out and lockdown um, of pastors who've considered leaving the ministry. Some of those for the first time 
started thinking about actually leaving their church and leaving their ministry. Uh, the Barna Research Institute said this, and I'm, I'm going to quote here. It says, the number of pastors who have given serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry has risen dramatically over the past year. That was 2021 when that was written. Due to burnout, stress, isolation, and political divisions in the church. From March 2020 to March 2021, 29% of pastors reported that they considered resigning due to burnout. Between March 2021 to this March, 2022, the percentage rose from 29% to 42%. Said we're thinking of not worth it. Um, and then the Pew Research Institute said that during the COVID-19 pandemic, three out of 10 Christians said, actually, my faith grew during the pandemic. Wow! I can say my faith grew during the pandemic uh, because of it, in spite of it, I don't know. But during that same period, a lot of Christians uh, stopped participating, not even online, stopped participating in Bible study, just started to kind of wander from their faith. Some have decided even when things reopened, and this is all over North America, a lot decided I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. Some have even left their faith. Now, here's what I want to say. I do not believe for a moment that adversity and persecution is the root cause of why people backslide, why they walk away from their faith, or why they quit the ministry. I do not believe that adversity or persecution is the cause of that. Not on your life. Look at the New Testament, how they were persecuted and under pressure. Down for, for 2,000 years, there's people today in persecuted countries. And they're signing up to be a follower of Jesus, and they know it's going to be hard. And I don't believe that the pressure of ministry is the root cause why pastors leave. Now, there might be some exceptions, and I don't want to sound harsh here, but I think more often than not, it's because of carelessness and neglect over our own souls. I had a spiritual renaissance in my own life in 2014-15, and I won't give you the backstory. I've talked about it before, but where I made a commitment that I was never going to miss my devotions in the morning. I was not going to be in so much of a hurry that I was going to cheat God on the quiet time. Not that God needed me so much, but I need to meet with him. And uh, I just decided to do that and, and commit myself to, uh, to pray more deeply and more faithfully. And I, I made a commitment in 2014-15 that I would be mentored. I was part of a mentoring group that was Canada-wide and it was online. Uh, and just putting a lot of practices into my life that were not there previously and not as consistently. Um, so I want to ask you, are you making time for soul care? for the care of your own soul. I mean, really, don't, don't answer out loud, but are you really making time for that? Do you schedule in recovery breaks? So Pastor Trent talked about going to the gym and working, you know, when you're lifting some dumbbells and you work to muscle failure so you can hardly do the next one. Uh, but they, they also say after you've done a set, you know, doing dumbbells or bench presses or whatever, you also do what they call recovery breaks. You know, you kind of walk away from it a bit, you know, you, and, and then you come back maybe uh, 45 seconds later, a minute later, and you start and you do another set. We need recovery breaks. God has created us for those. So are you doing that in your life so you can recover? Um, so here's a really stupid saying 
that used to go around the Church of the Nazarene and some other churches back in the day. I'd rather burn out than rust out. I'd rather burn out. How many of you would rather burn out than rust out? Well, okay. You're going like, that's a no-win situation if I answer that question. But you know what? That's what you call a false dichotomy. Okay, you got two choices, everybody here. You, you can either burn out or you can rust out. There's nothing in the middle. You don't have to burn out. And you don't have to rust out. That is a false dichotomy. Those options are not the only options. There's other options out there. And so when you get on the airlines, and you're going to see an image in a second, when you get on the airlines, you know, they go through the emergency procedures, right? And they say, in the case of sudden depressurization in the cabin, which usually means the plane's going down, you know. Um, and then, of course, they say, breathe normally. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so they say, you know, put, so if you're with a child or a person who needs assistance, who do you put the mask on first? Who can tell me? Yeah, yourself. Well, isn't that selfish? Like, like who put, you got a needy person here. And they're saying, you know what? If you pass out, if you burn out, you can't help anybody. And so what we, so here's the thing is I, there's a, a song, fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. And we need to have our cup filled, you know, I'm the cup and I need to be filled with the waters of life and with the bread of life. You can't pour from an empty cup. You need to take care of yourself. Now, some people are going to twist that into something selfish. That is not meant to be said. That, to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. So my talk today, I got, you know, I could go into like healthy nutrition, uh, into exercise, into getting your rest. We're not going to go there today. I want to keep it on the spiritual level. How do you keep your cup full in Christ? Proverbs 4.23 says this. It's not going to come up on the screen. It says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Are you guarding your hearts? Are you watching over your own soul? If you fail to guard your heart, you're in peril. So when I talk about taking care of yourself, I'm talking about soul care. So the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I pray, he's talking about God, out of his glorious riches, he may fill you uh, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you by his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then he continues the pra that prayer, and at the end he says, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled right to the measure, right up to the brim, so it's overflowing. That was his prayer. So how do you take care of your soul? Here's the points, and these points aren't all going to come up on the screen. You don't have to memorize this. It's not what this is about. You can write them down if you want. But how do you take care of your soul so that you are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Here they are. First of all, set aside a time every day to be still in the presence of God. Every day. I do it in the morning. I do it in the morning. It's quiet. I have my cup of coffee. And I find it's easier for me to be still. I do it often at night as well, in bed, right before I go to sleep. I come back uh, through the day. 
Um, I can, you know, meditate upon scripture and I'm praying continually. But starting your day, so I've said this before, it kicks off your spiritual metabolism. Starting the day with God. But you know what? For some of you, that's not going to work. Do it at noon. Do it at supper time. Do it at night. Do it during your coffee break, whatever. But having this time where you can sit and soak. What did it say about Jesus in Mark chapter 135? You know what it said about Jesus? This is Jesus, the Son of God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went to a solitary place where he prayed. That was a practice of his. That wasn't just a one-off. He had a spiritual rhythm, and we need a spiritual rhythm. The Bible says in Psalm 39, it says, you know, each, uh, it says each man's life, each person's life is but a breath. And this is, we are like mere phantoms bustling about to and fro, amassing wealth, not knowing who's going to get it. And we just, we're in this flurry of activity so often. But we don't stop for rest and recovery in the presence of God. Do you know when the Jewish day started? We were reminded of this at a pastor's conference at Ambrose recently, and we knew this. I think most of you know this. The Jewish day started when the sun went down. So your day started not with activity, but your day started with rest. And in the ancient world, they didn't have like electricity. They couldn't just turn on. So people went to bed earlier. Your day started with rest with sleep. What was happening when you were sleeping? God was at work. When you woke up in the morning, you just joined God who already, through his prevenient grace, was already at work. You're just joining him there. So, you know, everybody wanted to try to say this out loud. I am not in control. I am not in control. Yeah, you don't mean it. (laughs) You want to be in control. I want to be in control. But I'm not in control of the future. There's only one who is, and that's the Lord. And so sometimes when we bustle about, it's because we think we're in control. I've been really fighting that in my own life. It's been really hard. As I'm getting ready to uh, retire, there's so many things that need to be done. Um, I can't just clock out at 5 o'clock, you know. Uh, and so um, I, I feel urgency and sometimes a sense of panic. And I have, to, I have to settle myself before God. So it's been a struggle for me. But the Lord just keeps, he's gracious. So this is the most important thing. If you didn't remember anything else, set aside a time every day when you can sit and soak in the presence of God, hopefully in an unhurried manner, and be in his presence. But here's what you can do with that. Number two, immerse yourself in God's word. Bathe yourself in the word of God. Immerse yourself in it. Be baptized with it. The Bible is your spiritual roadmap. It's like your your GPS. It says, here's the path. Walk on it. This is the way. It'll show you the way, and it'll show you the will of God. The Bible is not meant to entertain you. So I, I talked to people who said, I read the Bible, and it's not as exciting as reading Lord of the Rings. Or like, a, you know, or like a mystery novel. Well, it's not supposed to be. How many of you are people who read the instructions before you start to assemble? Come on, yeah. Or how many of you read the, okay, so how many of you have smartphones like I do? You got a smartphone? You got a smartphone? Okay, so you got a smartphone. Did you know they come with instructions? 
Do you know what? I'm probably using about 10 or 20% of, of what my phone can actually do. You know why? Because I'm too impatient to read the instructions. And you know what? It's not fun to read the instructions. There's all these steps and things. And you know what? People are like that with the Bible. We don't have the patience. We get to Leviticus in the Old Testament and we go, oh, it's boring, and then we stop. But don't do that. It's like the Bible says, search for wisdom as for searching for hidden treasure. You've got to dig for it. Um, and so the Bible is meant to guide you on the path. It doesn't have to be entertaining. So, so take a look at these two scriptures. Look at these two scriptures. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Fix them. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now that's a metaphor. It's not just saying you have to do that literally. But then it says in Proverbs chapter 7, wisdom. My son, keep my words. Store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. How do you write the word of God, God's wisdom on the tablet of your heart? I'm going to come up to that in a second, how you do that. So we need to set aside a time every day to meet with God, to be still in his presence. Immerse ourselves in the word of God. When, you're, when you immerse yourself in God's word, you read it or listen to it. You can listen to a Bible app. I asked somebody, um, and I said, do you, do you do your devotions every day? And he goes, well, sometimes I'm just so busy. And I said, well, what about when you're on the way to work? How long does it take you to get there? He says, 20, 25 minutes. I said, why don't you just listen to it? There's lots of Bible apps. That you, can, you can listen to it. I said, that's better than not doing it. And the Bible does say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So uh, you can listen to it. If you, if you really want to draw closer to God, um, there's ways that you can do that. So Willow Creek Community uh, Church and a community association years ago, I think 2008, 2006, they did a study of what uh, causes Christians to grow. You know what they found out? I'm going to read you this. Listen to this. It says, the most effective strategy for moving people forward in their journey of faith is biblical engagement. Helping Christians to engage the Bible on their own on a daily basis. If we show people how to do that, that's why, you know, we've been, we did our thing called Leadership Network. We're we putting people into triads and discipling people who meet every week. Uh, that's why we have small groups. But the whole point of it is so that people aren't dependent upon pastors and teachers. We need each other. We need that teaching, but we are not dependent upon that only. So read it or listen to it, study it, study it. Now, I want to show you this. There's lots of things online. So Thomas is in the back there. And this is called blueletterbible.org. And I have to thank Mark Deerholm. He actually was the one that first told me about this. Um, so this is something called blueletterbible.org. And you'll see up there near the top, see where it's, yeah, right there. It says, verse, so, uh, Thomas, can you just type in uh, Romans uh, chapter 8? Romans 8. Okay. And then over there it says KJV on the blue there. Uh, make it NIV. Well, no, no. Okay, let's make it NASB 20 down below. There you go. Yeah, okay. Now, that's going to give you, yeah, you, don't worry about why there's different ones. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> I know you're thinking, like, why aren't they all the same? No, okay. Anyway. Uh, okay, now then you click on it to search. Okay, look at this. Just scroll down slowly. Look, there's every verse in Romans 8. Now, I want you to go to Romans 8, 28. Okay, just scroll down. Go to Romans 8, 28. Ooh, yeah. 
Okay, you know this one. Okay, now, and we know that God causes all things, okay, right? Now, click on where it says Romans 8, 28, right there. Click on that. Now, look at this. Look at, at the top, the, the middle, right in the middle of the screen. That's the Greek. That's what it looks like if you read it in the Greek. But drop down, and it breaks it down word by word. So the word and, we know that God, and you see over there in the middle there, God is theos, right there. That's theos is the word God. Causes all things, keep going down, okay, to work together. Okay, what you could do, and what you could do is you could click on stuff, and it'll give you like a word study. And, and so what I'm saying is, don't don't just read it, don't just listen to it, but study it. Go deeper. There is gold there. Okay. There's way more stuff than this. There's BibleProject.com and all kinds of stuff there. Uh, the other thing, too, is join something like a Bible study fellowship. Some of you here today do that, and, and it does in-depth Bible study for Christians, and you, get, you have homework every week. You should be in something where you have homework. Uh, that's really good for the soul. Okay, read it, study it, meditate on it. When you meditate on the Bible, uh, what you're doing is you're actually kind of chewing on it. And you're taking the word, so this is, think of this metaphorically, and you're kind of chewing on it, and you're swirling it around in your head. And uh, so this is what it says in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and light. And then it says this. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And I go, Lord, I want to be like a tree like, that bears its fruit. So I'm, I, now I'm meditating. I, I bear my fruit. Lord, help me to bear fruit in season, in season, and that, so that my leaf will not wither. I don't want to wither, Lord. And you start to engage. You're, you're having a conversation with God. You're slowing down. To, that's called meditation. And then the next thing, and this is the way that you really make it happen, is memorize it. Now, some of you <laughs> say, I can't do memory work. If you can get there, it's great. But listen to this, Psalm 119, verse 11, it's not on the screen. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide his word, store up his word in your heart. Um, memorizing scripture is one of the ways you can watch over your soul. Uh, it, it, I find it's there at my fingertips. Sometimes I get a little muddled and I can't get every single word correct, but, but it's there. I know, and I remember the address. I know where to turn. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. You know, I know what's in there. And, and it really, really helps. It's right there. If you ever had your Bible taken away or stolen, at least you've stored that up. And the next thing is pray it. Pray it. So you're reading it, listening to it, you're studying it, you're meditating on it, you're memorizing it, and then you pray it. Um, and when God, when I read the Bible, it's a, it's a two-way conversation. God is speaking to me through the Bible, but then I want to speak it back and say, Lord, this is what I'm hearing you say to me today. And some days I don't get a lot, I'm, I'm being honest. But there's some days, I, you know, God just, it just resonates in my heart. And, and I'm going to say, Lord, today you, you, you've, you've told me that I, I need to confess this, or Father, you, you've said that I need to do this or stop doing this. And Lord, I, my plan is I want to be obedient to you. 
and I'm praying back to God. I'm praying his word, Lord, give me the strength too, you know, and, and I'm having this conversation with God. So do you, guys, do you all believe that God is speaking, that he's a speaking God? That he does, yeah, he does, right? He speaks, right? He's speaking, I think, all the time. So how many of you have ever tried to tell somebody something really important and they're in a hurry to get away? Do you know how frustrating that is? You know, say, hang on, before you go, look, I know you're in a hurry, but, but no, I, I need to tell you this before you go. And the person's got one hand on the door and the door's ajar, you know, and it's really frustrating. I wonder if God is like that with us. We say, God, um, it's the morning, I gotta get off to work, I got rush hour traffic, you got two minutes. You got two minutes. I want you to speak deeply to my heart. You know, it's, and, and it's like, we, it's really hard. Now, if that's all you can do, do it. Okay, so there's two dangers here, and the one is obvious, and that is neglecting the word of God. Folks, there are more Bibles available in our world today. You can get them for free, I think, still from Canadian Bible Society in different translations, children's Bibles, youth Bibles, all kinds of... You can get it online. You can Google it. You can... There's Bible information and there's bible study information that we you know our, our church is a part of right now media there's information everywhere there's all these websites i told you about like like uh, the bibleproject.com biblegateway.com blue letter bible it's there there's no excuse for it. sometimes it's just simply like it's not a problem of scarcity it's a problem of neglect most often but the second danger and this is really bad if we don't, if we fall into this trap. That is reading and studying God's word without being obedient to it. In one ear and out the other. The Bible says in James, he says, do not just be hearers of the world, of the word who deceive themselves, but be doers of the word. If you just listen, you can come here to church and just listen and say, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, and, and it go away unchanged because you know, it takes it does take obedience for it to transform your life. This should never be just about information. You know, I said it's like a, an operator's manual. Yeah, but you got to put it into practice for it to work. And so the problem with the people of Israel, and it says this in Hebrews chapter 4, it says they heard it, but they didn't unite what they heard with faith. Faith makes you step out and act upon it. If you believe God, if you have faith in God, if you believe he's spoken to you or he's given you a promise or a warning, if you have faith, you act upon it. That's what faith is. You act upon it. That's what the whole book of James is about. It says this about King David. This is why God loved David and, and rejected Saul, the first king. Is that after removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him. David is a man after my own heart because he will do everything I want him to do. It's obedience. And there's such a deception there where we can become fat Christians instead of fit Christians. Where what we're doing is we're just listening and we're consuming and we're watching Bible telecasts and, and it, could be, it could be 700 Club or whatever and we're not acting upon it. It's just information. It needs to be, we can't just gorge ourselves on Bible information and sermons. We need to put it into action. And so, here's 
What I want to say in closing, the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. I've got several, several scriptures here that talk about that, that Christ might be formed in you, that you'll be conformed into his likeness, putting off the old, putting on the new, which is created to be like Christ. That's the goal of your life. It's not just getting to heaven. It's to make sure that you're maturing in Christ, becoming more and more like him every day. That does not happen without the word and without the Holy Spirit to be the teacher of his word to your heart. God wants you to be transformed with ever-increasing glory into his likeness, more and more like him every day. The benefits of doing that, it's in the Bible, is that you will flourish and be fruitful for God like that tree planted by streams of water. Jesus said, abide in me, live in me, and let my words live in you, and you will bear much fruit. The Bible does not command you to bear fruit as much as it says, abide in Christ. And one of the ways you do that is to spend time with him every day. In the word, in prayer, listening to the Holy Spirit as he brings the word alive off the pages, then you become more and more like him. And you know what the reward is? Here's the reward. You'll be indestructible. Now, when I say that, well, somebody could come up and shoot me. Yeah, but you're indestructible. Well, they could shoot me dead, but you're indestructible. Because Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. You know? Like, you're, you're not gone. You'll wake up at the resurrection. What did Jesus say? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the winds came like the winds of adversity. The storm raged and blew against that house and it came crashing down. He said that's what the person does who listens and doesn't put it into action. But then he said be like the wise man who built his house on the rock because he's the one who heard these words and put them into practice. And so when the winds came and assailed his house, this is the house, you're the house, and the life uh, does its worst to you, like during COVID, and all that's happening in our world today, you can stand firm and you will not come crashing down. And so take care of yourself. The Apostle Paul had lots of adversity in his life, more than most of us could probably bear. And for the sake of Christ, I want you just to look at these last verses. Now, this this came before the passage I just read you earlier, but this was his attitude. Because he was so caught up with Christ, so immersed in God's word, It's so in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, He had an indestructible spirit about him. Look what he says, verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. The holy city Jerusalem was enemy territory for him because there were people there that wanted to kill him for preaching the gospel. 
He said, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me. Who warns him? The Holy Spirit. That prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of his grace. Um, He's saying, you know what, I'm going to Jerusalem. And you know what happened? When the people in Ephesus realized that he was gonna go and face hardship in prison and maybe death, they tried to talk him out of it. And he said, why are you breaking my heart? This is my destiny. He had an indestructible spirit because he was close to God. He walked with God daily. And God wants that for you. He wants that for you. The reason why I think people quit the ministry, quit their faith, backslide, it's not because life is hard. Of course life is hard. This isn't heaven. Heaven isn't here yet. Things are uncertain here. Things are hard. Things are tough. The reason they're not resilient is because they haven't built their lives on the foundation of the rock, Jesus Christ and his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. And so today, just in closing, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and they're going to sing again in four-part harmony, Because He Lives. I think we would enjoy that and be blessed by it. But I want you to do this. Would you do this? I, I, I really just have one point that I want you to take away today. Maybe two. But the main one is this. Would you make a commitment right now to either keep on spending time daily in the presence of God, in prayer, in the word, maybe with a journal, maybe with your devotional books, but to spend time. And would you say, Lord, would you show me how I can carve out some space? Maybe I give up a program I'm I'm watching on TV, or maybe I give up maybe something else that I'm reading because this, I have to have this. Would you commit to that right now? Would you say, Lord, right here and now, by your grace, I commit to spend time daily in your presence. And Lord, I pray for those who've made that commitment and for those who want to continue doing it. Lord, bless them, strengthen them, help them, Lord. Uh, Because we know, Lord, that the enemy of our soul, Satan, wants to uh, uh, assail us and discourage us because sometimes it's hard. And I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us reach the pinnacle of victory in this, Lord, that we would take care and watch over our own souls first as we're watching over the souls of others because we cannot give from an empty cup. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.